Hello and welcome to another edition of Inside the Borough, the FAU podcast for and by fans. My name is Dan. I am joined by Shane and Jack as usual. And tonight we have a very special guest, uh, Andy Thompson from the Boca Raton uh, City Council. Welcome, Andy. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, you, some, some of y'all might be wondering why we had uh, you know, somebody from uh, the Boca Raton uh, city council here, but uh, I, I think it, it's kind of cool because there is, certainly is some correlation between college football, college athletics, which is always something that we're trying to bring to you guys uh, on the show. So Andy, I guess to, to kind of get started, uh, before we jump into questions, tell us a little bit about your background. Certainly you're, you're from born and raised South Florida, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about that, kind of give the audience some context and then we'll, we'll dig into a little bit of some of the questions. I would love to. The Thompson family story started in the, I guess, the late 1960s when my mom and dad met at what was then the brand new Florida Atlantic University. And my, my dad has, was studying political science. My mom was trying to get a degree in education. They ended up both graduating from FAU. And, but in the meantime, they met in the library, fell in love, got married. And me and my brother are the results. So FAU is a very, very, holds a very special place in my heart. And I've, I'm proud of saying that I'm a product of FAU. I didn't go here, but my parents did and graduated and met there. So I've always had a lot of love for, for Florida Atlantic. And I've lived in South Florida my whole life. I grew up, by the time I was born, my parents had moved to Coral Springs, which was then like a, like a nice place, it still is, but it was a place to raise a family. And so I grew up there, went to Coral Springs High, played soccer most of my life and then fell into football by the time I got to high school. The, one of the guys, my neighbor across the street was the kicker at Coral Springs High at the time and taught me how to do it. So by the time he graduated, I was a freshman. And so I played for the Coral Springs High School Colts for three years on varsity, not a lot of wins in that period, I think three total in three years on varsity. Yeah. But the upside of that is I got to punt a lot sometimes as often as 10 times a game. So I got, I don't want to say good at it. I got confident at it. And the skills then translated to walking on at Georgia Tech. I wanted to be an engineer at the time. And so I tried to find a place that had good football and good engineering. And there's really only two of them. There's Stanford and Georgia Tech. And I wasn't going to get into Stanford anyway. So I said, why don't I just give it a shot and play at Georgia Tech? And it worked out. I, I started schooling there and I was kind of ready to try out my freshman year and the coach at the time was George O'Leary and I thought oh this is a lock this is going to be great and then I walk on and I, I don't make the team and I was like wow okay that's a take a hit to the ego no big deal I'll try again next year so my sophomore year I go out try out again and again I don't make the team and I was like what am I doing here I don't know what the point is really so I basically give it up at that point but my girlfriend at the time says, no, you know, look, you still practice at it. You love it. Give it a shot one more time. So at that point, they had a coaching change. Chan Gailey was the uh, head coach at Georgia Tech. George O'Leary was, went off to Notre Dame, but not for long. Anyway, George, uh, Chan Gailey was the coach at Tech now. And I, for some reason, really liked left-footed punters, which I was. And I made the team this third time. The last time I was going to try out, I finally did it and made it. And was on the practice squad for the first year, which as you can imagine was not a ton of fun. I didn't even dress out for games. Um, you woke up rather than like traveling to the games, you woke up and had like on Friday morning, had like the worst, hardest workout that you can imagine. Like they just grind guys like that <laughs> down. But I stuck through it. And the next year, this would be my 
my redshirt junior year, I was actually competitive. I, I got off the practice squad, started dressing out for games. And then actually part of that season, I was the starter. So I played, I don't know, it was like eight or nine games that year. I was the starting punter and then was getting ready to go into my senior year. This is going to be great. I'm going to be the starter of the whole year. And another guy transfers in, <laughs> gets the job, takes over. <laughs> it was actually pretty good, it turns out. But I was then the holder on field goals, so I still got to play a little bit. My best friend on the team was the kicker. So they gave me a varsity letter for two years for doing very little. But I got out of there with a degree in electrical engineering and great memories and experiences of playing with what was actually a pretty good team. We were always bowl eligible, seven wins, eight wins every year. Fantastic, like NFL quality talent. I'm, not me, obviously, but just about everybody else. And it was a fantastic, fantastic time. And I uh, look on very, I remember very favorably and fondly my time at Georgia Tech, as you can see from the jersey hanging that yeah. my wife had made for me back here. So college football is something that I have a great passion for. I love it, as do you guys, obviously. And so I think it's been fantastic, the kind of success that FAU has had the past few years. And I think that success is, you know, continuing to roll in as we saw some very good recruiting updates from FAU just over the past week or two. So a new coach tagger is rocking and rolling. Yeah. Uh, Andy, kind of just even more long-term, what has just been like kind of the transformation of FAU as a university in your eyes, especially, obviously, I mean, imagine what FAU looked like just when you left for college back in 2001, what type of school it was um, then compared to what you see it as now. I mean, my goodness, it has, transformed dramatically. Remember, it started as a commuter school, and for years and years and years, that's what it was. It wasn't a lot of on-campus options. Everybody hailed from, from down here. My parents didn't live on campus. It wasn't a, they didn't think they had that option back then. And then over time, the, the school has focused on, you know, steadily increasing the, the, the standards and getting higher and higher quality students coming in with, a, you know, obviously not all of them live in the region. So they're coming from different parts of the state, different parts of the country. And then you have with that a stronger on-campus component. And it's now obviously an enormous school. I mean, between both campuses, it's, it's 30,000 plus, and I think 20,000 or so are enrolled here at the Boca campus. So it's a, it is a fantastic institution now. And it has retained and increased its quality dramatically over time. And what that's done, though, is from the city's perspective, is it, you know, it changes the kinds of services that the city needs to provide. Because, you know, even 20 years ago, it had a fraction of the students that it has now. And so with the increased population and students, you have to have a city that can grow along with it. And that's one of the focuses that I have on the city council is to improve that relationship between the city and the university such that we can all grow together and be on the same page as we do it. And I, I know one, one portion of that is the 20th street corridor in the university district concept, which I, I imagine we'll talk more about. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead, Shane. Well, just, I mean, just before we kind of get into the question things, what things maybe fans also don't know when you say services that are kind of being planned about we know what's been talked about but you know what other things has kind of the city been focusing on now you mean just citywide or in yeah when you say services and stuff in regards oh, to students gosh well it's 
right now, a lot of what the city is, is having to focus on is the coronavirus, as you can imagine. You know, we have our police and fire departments. You know, not every city actually offers their own police and fire service. We do. And Boca, in my view, has some of the best. But, you know, these folks are the ones that are working in the front lines of responding to calls, dealing with issues. And when they do that, they're, they're coming into contact with folks who may have been exposed to the coronavirus. So a lot of our resources in the last few months have been dedicated to responding to the coronavirus. And this actually corresponds, unfortunately, with a time where, you know, fewer and fewer people are on campus. I know the FAU campus has remained open and there are still people there, but it's obviously not for in-person classes. Although we did get an update just in the last uh, few hours, actually, from FAU on their reopening plans. And I was told that they were planning on doing almost entirely virtual learning to start the school semester, but they would have in-person options for, you know, like freshmen, and certain you know classes of students that need to have an in-person experience for it to really be meaningful and so we a lot of our staff at the city has been you know turned upside down i mean we we employ over two thousand people at the city and a lot of them are working from home and for some that works for some it doesn't some of their facilities are still closed like city hall is 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 there's people working at it but it's not open to the public Libraries are closed, you know, parks are open, but you know, a lot of the, some portions of them are still closed. So it's a very, very strange time right now to be in local government. And I know guys, we were talking earlier, just joking how, you know, really it seems like local government's kind of never been at the forefront the way that it is now, because between counties and cities, we're the ones that are doing the responding to the coronavirus, the state helps, and they help with stuff like testing. And that's actually one thing that FAU and the city have been very good partners on is we, we opened up a testing site on FAU's campus at Tech Runway to, to provide really the only government-run testing site in the city. We have some a little bit to the west of ours, to of our borders, but, but not in the city. So, I mean, that to me is another example of how the FAU and the city have partnered well together. And I want to keep that happening, and particularly as it relates to this 20th Street corridor. I think that's a brilliant segue because uh, I feel like that's all FAU fans when it comes to talking about making Boca Raton not really much of a, a college town, but making that 20th Street corridor more FAU friendly, if you will. Uh, that's something we've had our eyes on uh, for oh, well over a decade now. So can, can you talk about for a second uh, – maybe a bit about the partnership between the university and the city about ideas when it comes to revitalizing that area to making it more FAU friendly. Totally. And, and let me just take a step back and say, I'm like the newest kid on the block when it comes to the city council. I only got elected a, a couple of years ago, not even two years ago. And so some of my, when I describe this, some of the history goes back way, way, way before I was there. And actually, unfortunately, there, as you know, Jack, there has been discussions about, you know, revitalizing that area for going back decades, probably. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like much has happened since 2017, before I got elected. The last I saw was there was a, a planning exercise undertaken between the city and FAU and some other stakeholders to talk about what exactly it is that we should do to make the FAU 20th Street Corridor more FAU friendly, more of a college atmosphere, you know, conducive to students and student housing and student services and student, you know, establishments, that kind of thing. 
And they, they did this planning exercise and came up with some pretty good ideas, but unfortunately really not much had happened after that. And in part it was because you know, it's, it's been a priority in the cities, but nobody was really advocating for it, at least not strongly. And I think FAU was just waiting to see how a couple things shook out with the legislature, what kind of funding they were gonna get, a couple of other things. But it actually was, I think it was even the December or January this past year before the coronavirus, that I started having very good discussions with folks at FAU and some of the landowners over there about getting that exercise moving again, like getting the process going, because there's really no point in waiting any longer. We keep talking about it. You know, you see how sometimes government doesn't act terribly fast. We have to keep it in the front of mind. And so I was having, I've talked with the FAU leadership and I've talked with some of the the people who own properties right on 20th street and what they wanted to see happen and what they thought could make sense there. And really it's a combination of a couple things right now you have, as you guys know, it's like furniture stores, fabric stores, auto mechanics, um, some, some FAU university related stuff, but not much. And it's kind of in some housing though. It's not even necessarily student related housing. And there's not really any comprehensive feel to it. There's obviously no comprehensive plan associated with it. And that was the point of this university district, which the city and the and FAU have talked about, but haven't actually undertaken yet. I think we need to start that right now. And actually there's no better time because you're probably gonna see some turnover in the composition of the, the businesses that are on 20th Street just by virtue of the coronavirus. I think I just read that Calico Corns, which has been around for like a million years, um, unfortunately, is not going to be able to make it through the coronavirus. And they said that they were going to be closing up. So there could be some momentum now towards revitalizing that area. And what does that look like? Right now, it's kind of like this, this haphazard concoction of, of land uses there. You have to start with a vision and with a cohesive theme. And so I think the plan would be to try and change and this is my view this is just me talking but that what you need would be to incentivize the property owners that own property there whether it's retail or business or industrial or whatever it is it give them an incentive to redevelop what they have there because right now obviously it works for them that's why they keep doing it if if if, the, if there was a better use though meaning if the city said well right now for example Mixed use development on one parcel is not available to you. It either has to be retail or it has to be industrial, or it has to be residential, whatever. If we could change that to say, we're going to allow a mix of uses between retail, say on the first floor of something and residential on the second or third floor. And then additionally, you'd have to say, we're also going to be willing to increase the height limit here to allow for second, third, fourth, you know, story residential apartments, something like that. Suddenly now, the property is more attractive and more advantageously used in this new way, in this redevelopment way, rather than the existing industrial or retail use that it's using right now. So we at the city have to make a, a concerted effort to basically provide an incentive to the property owners there to redevelop. It's, some of them have been active in trying to do that. I think others are just waiting to see what it shakes out and what's going to be permitted. But the key is to get all these folks in a room and say, look, here's what we're contemplating. Here's how we propose to do it. What is it that you all would do? What was it that you guys would want to do? We can work with FAU on this too, because you know, there's, there's this longstanding 
I don't know how to describe it really well, but there's this longstanding heartburn from the staff at the city's perspective when it comes to, you know, students living in like single family neighborhoods. Yep. Mm -hmm. It could be an issue, right? And, and folks at Wynwood, for example, you know, probably have certain thoughts about what the, the merits of having students interspersed with your average, you know, single family uses. My, my view on that is it makes more sense to have it in this 20th Street corridor and to have student type, you know, residential units available there more than there is now anyway, than to have them interspersed in, you know, all over the city, basically. Because, you know, if, if you're going to have a concentrate, it makes more sense to have them concentrated there. Because A, you can have FAU help out on some of the ancillary services necessary for that. And B, you have all this additional benefit associated with having students near where they go to school. Because what happens when you do that? It makes it walkable. You take cars off the road. It makes it be able to, to people to skateboard and bicycle. And, and it, rather than having them live in, you know, further west or north or wherever other parts of the city, you have them near campus. It allows for a beautiful synergy between the city and between the university that way. And so right now I feel like that is a really, really untapped opportunity that we need to finally strike on. And I think it's because this may be a good time. And, and I, I just had a discussion today, matter of fact, with some folks at FAU who thought the same thing, that now may be the time for to actually make this work and get this moving. So I'm going to be, you have my word, guys, that I'm going to be pushing this more than I, well, than I had been, and frankly, more than just about anybody in the city has been, because there's got to be a way to make this work, and we need to do it now. And, and to kind of follow up, and you pretty much hit up, hit on the nail on the head on everything we were thinking, especially to, you know, with the students kind of be dispersed in single family homes in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but a lot of what you are saying is, and I remember, I'll never forget, I went to the event on the second floor of the Breezeway uh, in kind of the little art gallery up there for maybe, you know, some students or alumni who are listening. And they said all these things, all these things that make sense. Let's concentrate the students. You know, trust me, you know, it's always bothered me why FAU fans are going to Atlantic Ave after a football game as opposed to going in the city. And I think if there was something in the city, you would even bring more football games to the, you know, football fans to the, to the games, you know, kind of one hand feeding the next, it becomes more of an event. Uh, I think we all agree on that, but it has seemed that these hurdles for the city, especially, you know, with the students kind of being in there and Boca Raton isn't this empty college town like Tallahassee yeah. where UCF has East Orlando where they just have land. Uh, FBU has to balance with its residents and, you know, Andy, I know you're the new guy, but it's always seemed like this development has come slow because once FBU or once the city maybe starts to push towards more student things, the pushback is stronger by some of those people, right? You know, with the, the you know, trust me, 19 year old college students aren't going to city council meetings and giving their gripes, you know? Um, so it, it seems like that pushback just seems to delay everything. And a lot of what you just said, we heard in 2017. Uh, and, you know, it, again, it all makes sense. So it's, it's kind of that question, why, if it makes so much sense, why hasn't it happened? You know, are, are we listening too much to some of the residents in that area and not, you know, focus on what maybe it's best for the students? What, if, if I could, and Councilman, let, let me know if you think this is a good idea or not, but I, I, I believe that in order for the FE community to really have you know, their 
voices heard, the best way to do that is by going out and voting. Like how we, we were talking about earlier about local elections aren't sexy, participation is like 10%. Uh, if we get, what guys, half of the FAU community to, to vote, then maybe we can finally get some conversations going. Uh, what do you think about that, Councilman? My God, you're so right, Jack. And here, I, I remember having these conversations back in, whenever I was running the first time, I guess 2018. And I, I would go and I, I have friends who teach classes at FAU. So I would spend some time there and I would talk to students. And, you know, it was remarkable, actually, when you look back at, the, you know, they have a precinct, a voting precinct at FAU. They have for years. And if you look at the turnout of that, now, who, who, who's registered to vote there? Probably all the kids that live on campus, right? And then maybe some surrounding areas. But it was like, it was like, so I think like 50 people total voted there out of thousands and thousands and thousands who were registered to vote there. Like, it was like 55 or something like, I was like, that can't be right. But it was, and it, it, it kind of has been consistent over time. And I used to say to the students at FAU, I said, hold on. If you guys all voted, you could elect everyone you want. You could, you, you would be, it would be all FAU students potentially, if you wanted to. If you actually just decided to take the time and spend the thirty minutes that it takes to vote, you guys could all do it. Now it's not so simple, right? Because it's not like there's twenty thousand kids who are registered who live on campus, right? It's it's only like four thousand units or so that they can actually or beds that they have on campus. But even that, four thousand people. You know, I got a, when, when I was elected, I had 7,000 something vote for me. And that was a record high amount of people. And so they, you have to think that 4,000 can make a pretty significant difference in the, the voter layout if people actually took it seriously, but they just don't. And unfortunately, what's happened is that over time, you see those numbers, you see the turnout percentage, and most people are like, it's not even worth the time to go and campaign there. It's not worth the, the effort in trying to communicate the message there. And so they don't bother. And so the, what does that do? It feeds into the same cycle of nobody votes, nobody cares. Well, it, it, which I think we could all like definitely agree on the voting thing. Um, but, you know, just kind of back to the original, what else, you know, can kind of be done with that question? And how does the city balance, uh, obviously, its students who are less vocal than maybe your property owners in Boca who seem to sometimes limit these projects, you know, as you know, we kind of mentioned, especially in that corridor. Well, what do you do is you have to have a, a city council that's committed to actually having a healthy partnership with FAU. I, I mean, I mentioned earlier that, that I, I think Boca for a long time has been uneasy being a college town and having a large thriving university here. And so, but we have to come to grips with the fact that FAU is continuing to excel and why don't we treat them like the neighbors that they are or the partners that they are that was that was always my pitch was and maybe it's because my parents met at FAU and I, I care a lot about FAU but we need to treat it like a community partner and a co-equal partner in, in making sure that Boca Raton is successful and what does that mean it means sometimes making having to make hard decisions about well the students are going to live somewhere right they, they are going to live somewhere where would we rather have them live? And, and, and where would they rather live, frankly? If they, if they want to go live in, in, you know, on, in the Golden Triangle behind Meisner Park, if they can afford it, God bless them, but most probably can't. I couldn't. Where do they want to live? They want to live among other students. They want to live in a place where they can walk to campus, God willing, or at least to the, you know, 
to get some groceries or to go out on Friday, Saturday, right? That's the ideal is to be able to walk there. And we need to be able to create a place that, that has that kind of momentum all built in. And right now it's, it, it doesn't exist as far as you have on campus, which is fine. And they should probably, FAU should probably increase the number of beds that they can house students on campus. That would be good. But in conjunction with that, not everybody's going to live on campus forever. So we need to have places nearby for them to be able to still have a college experience while also, look, and I, I mean this, the, 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 one of the busiest, when I, I, when I, before I lived in Boca, I was driving here from, uh, I lived in Fort Lauderdale and I was driving to Boca because I'm a lawyer by trade, so my law office is in Boca. And the exit onto Glades Road on 95 was like, it was like a mile down the street you know, every morning at eight o'clock, 8.30, that kind of thing. There are a lot of kids driving from the North and South to get to FAU. That's because we're not giving them affordable, attractive places to live in Boca. Why don't we fix that? And it's not just to the, to the university's benefit or to the student's benefit, it's to everybody's benefit because nobody likes sitting in line at F on 95 at Glades Road. It's, that's bad for everybody. But we have to actually do the big thing and that is, create an environment that is attractive to students and affordable so that they can live there and get their cars off the road and take a bike to class or a skateboard or walk rather than taking their car. Yeah, I, I did you want to go, Dan? No, finish your thought and I'll, I'll follow up. Yeah, I, I've always agreed. And I think, you know, we'll kind of change here with the subject. And I think you kind of hit it there, you know, with Boca a little uneasy, accepting being a college town. I've always said Boca, loves to say it has FAU and it has this great university, but wants nothing to do with any of the quote unquote, I don't want to say issues uh, of having 20,000 18 to 23 year olds, which, which come with the university. And I, I think folks, is, you know, kind of haven't been on the forefront on that, but you know, we're glad to hear this and well, no. that, that's not true for me. And there has yeah. to be a way to make it work. And I think it's some, it's not even major tweaks, but tweaks on the 20th street land use and zoning to make it attractive for redevelopment could actually kickstart this thing. Well, particularly right now. So guys, keep me accountable on this. This is one thing I do love about democracy is you get to keep your re elected representatives accountable. In, in a, you have my word in a month's time. If you're not seeing progress on this, call me and say, what's up with 20th street. And sometimes maybe I need the reminder or I just need to lob the call into FAU or I need to call the property owner to say, hey, what are we doing on this? But that's how the system works. That's how it works at its best is when people are like in our faces. Because the truth is I'm only one vote, guys. You know, I, I am the youngest one up there. I'm the closest one to college, I suppose. And so maybe it, it, it matters more to me than it does to my colleagues or, or, or whoever. But make sure you keep the drum beat up because that's how things end up changing but i'm i'm this is a this is a, an initiative of mine that i will keep pushing you have my word on that okay and just another part of the town that has to do with the university that um i know there's been some talk of and uh you know feu's golf team for a long time practiced uh at ocean breeze which is now you know kind of in transition what is um you know kind of the status of uh Guys, I, I, could, I could speak for an entire hour nonstop about this issue. I won't do that. I'll try to condense it down as best I can, okay? Okay. So, the, so yes, the, the Boca Raton, the, the Beecham Park District, which is a separately elected 
government body purchased the old Ocean Breeze golf course several years ago, before I got elected. That Ocean Breeze golf course had been closed for several years. It, it's situated in the Boca Tica neighborhood, uh, Clintmore and 2nd Avenue. The Beach and Park District spent, it's been so long now, I've actually forgotten the numbers, but I think they spent $24 million to purchase this golf course at a time when it was appraised to be a, a valued around eight or $10 million maximum. So they spent $24 million to buy it. So that's not, a, frankly, a good start when it comes to, to making a golf course out of this. Beach and Park District, which is not us, we don't, we don't appoint them, they're separately elected. They purchased it for $24 million and came to the city before I was elected and said, hey, city, could you, could you guys underwrite a bond to help us pay for this? They didn't have the money. They said, can you lend us basically $19 million to buy? Okay. So the city, before I was there, before I got elected, agreed to do that. And, but with that came the, some strings, including like we have the ability to approve any golf course that goes on there, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we were like the lender. So it only is fitting that we would have some say on what ends up going there. So at the time though, they said, we are gonna build a golf course here and we're not gonna need any more money from you. We have the money to build a golf course and develop a golf course here, okay? So fast forward, a couple years go by and they come to the city and they say, hey, city, remember that money you guys lent us for the golf course? That was great. Thank you. It was almost 20 million. We, we appreciate it. And remember, we did, we, we said we weren't going to need the money. Well, it turns out we actually don't have the money to build a golf course. We need your money to build it. And we need $30 million to do so because they had developed a plan. They'd hired a consultant and a contractor and a developer, a golf course, golf course developer to build this golf course. And they asked for $28 million to build this golf course on top of the 24 million that they had already spent in to buy the thing. Okay. And I said, and this, I'm, I'm here by this time. And I said, guys, $20 million is a lot of money. You know, I'm not a golf course architect. I don't, I've never built one. I'm a pretty lousy golfer, frankly, but I, I, I feel like I can get, we could figure out a way to spend less money building a golf course than $28 million. There has to be a better way. And they said, no, no, there's not. That's it. That's the price. That's the best we can do. It's been value engineered. It's, it, that's it. That's the price. So you're going to help us out or not? And so I had to come out kind of on a limb and I said, look, no, not for $28 million. I am certain we can do it for less. So I had to do that. I, I, I actually called for, I had like, it was like a dog and pony show. It was like a beauty pageant. I said, raise your hand. Hey, golf course architects of the world. Raise your hand if you can build a golf, a high quality golf course for us for eight million, which is twenty million dollars less than they had asked for, and 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 something like fifteen. I think it was seventeen golf course architects didn't just raise their hand; they shouted that you would be crazy to spend twenty eight million dollars. That anything beyond something like fifteen is just throwing money off a cliff. Like those are not even my words; those are their words. So long story short, we had to convince the beach and park district that no, a more reasonably priced golf course is possible that you can do it with a quality and get a quality course for a fraction of that. And, it, but for months they said, nope, you're wrong. Your people are wrong. You're crazy. It can't be done. They don't know. They haven't seen the whatever for months they were saying that. And then they wanted to raise taxes on everybody in Boca to pay for their $28 million golf course. And that was when people were like, that's it. We have enough. We, we, we've had enough of this. 
And right around that time, it turns out, remember that dog and pony show where we had all the architects come in and present all the ways that they could do this course for $15, $15 million or less. There was like this consensus growing that $15 million was a suitable price to pay for a golf course here. And after months of the Beach and Park District saying, nope, this is not, not here, not, that can't be done here. You can't do it for 15 minutes. No, it's gotta be 28. They came in, they revised their design for this new golf course. And guess what the, the revised design cost was? $15 million. So simply by asking the questions and by having a discussion about what kind of golf course do we want? Who should it be for? And is it golf for the people? Is it golf for the wealthy? Who, who's it for? After that conversation, everybody, finally, the Beach and Park District relented and said, okay, yes, you're right, it turns out, we can do this course for $15 million. You were right. They very quietly said you were right. And, um, but they still asked for the $15 million to come from us. They said, okay, fine, you're right, but give us the 15 million. And I said, well, guys, though, you, you said you were gonna have the money yourself. So I, 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 for one, and I was very clear about this, came to, there, there, was a, there was a credibility gap, like they said, you know, during the Vietnam era, there was a credibility gap. And I was like, I don't know if I can trust the designer who has been telling us for months that it had to cost $30 million, who like at the snap of a finger was able to cut the cost down by half. And by the way, the worst part was they said, the reduction from 28 million to 15 resulted in quote, no loss in quality for the golf course. And so I was like, well, what was the other? What was the, what was the rest of it for? So I said, guys, look, we want to help you. We want to have a first-class golf course here. We want to make it work. But frankly, I just, I, I for one, don't, didn't, I was not sure that I had the faith and the trust in that designer that they were saying, you know, needed to be the one to design the course. So where we're at now, Shane, I'm sorry, it took me so long to, to go through that history. But the, where we are now is they are asking us to approve their design, the $15 million design. They, they kind of want the money from us. They kind of say that they can get it themselves or that they can figure out a way to finance it themselves. I'm less certain. And so it, it, what, we, what we offered was, look, we, will, we the city will build this golf course for you. We will use our money to do it. We just need to hire our own architect. We need to hire our own designer because like I said, the credibility gap just wasn't gonna work from my end with the guys that they had now. So. I said, and that, that offer is still open, by the way. If they, if they want us to do it, it, it we, we're happy to. We'll start, we, and we can start right now. We have the money. We can do it right this minute. But they, they don't want to get away from their designer. And I'm, I'm not really sure why, frankly, given the, the history. So that's kind of where things stand. They want us to approve their design. I think they want us to give them the money for it, too. They said that they could do it, but it may take like four or five years for them to complete it. I, all I'm saying is, guys, just let us do it. We're happy to do it. We're happy to spend $15 million doing it, but we're just not going to spend it on a designer who told us the thing had to cost $30 million from the asset. Wow. Well, ho hopefully FAU is involved in it. And, they, you know, I think the, the main behind the question is, you know, that that course was a long time, the practice course for the school. And, you know, had that be another connection point between the city and the school. Um, Dan, did you have a final yeah, question? I, so, and th this will definitely be our, 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 our last question here, but this kind of a, a broader sense that kind of wraps FAU up at the end. But what are some of your, you know, what, what is some of your or the city's goals moving forward? Like what's, what's kind of 
what the what the city's hoping for, you know, kind of moving down the road the next year, next five years, and then you know, kind of wrapping FAU in is you know, not necessarily ha that FAU has to be a part of that, but you know, what could you know we as uh, you know alumni and supporters of the institution and of uh, certainly the city of Boca, you know, how can we kind of help with that? How can the university kind of help with that? You know, what the what the city has planned moving forward. It's a great question. And my thoughts and my answers, unfortunately, are different now than they were four months ago. You know, because, you know, think about it. We have, the city has, you know, we're, we've been in the throes of responding to this thing. It's taken, a, we've taken a hit with our budget. Our revenues are down, as you can imagine, all the user fees and sales tax revenues that we get. But that's not actually how the city government's funded. We're funded through property taxes. And we haven't taken a hit on that yet, but we will. It's just a matter of time until that kind of those chickens come home to roost and our, our revenues are down. So like that, right now, that's kind of like the big picture thing is we have to make sure that we can keep providing the what I view to be very, very high quality services. So I mean, think about it, like your fire, police, the trash cans, the, the parks, like the, everything is, is in Boca. It's nice. Like that, that's kind of the point. People come expect, to expect that and they don't want to see that change. So we have to maintain those what we consider to be world-class services and do it in a way that may involve, you know, less revenue and less of a budget. So we're working very, very hard on that now. We're also having to deal with the, the medical consequences of this disease, which are significant, you know, and we have a great hospital here. We, we view them as a very important partner and FAU too, because, you know, they were the ones who offered to help figure out a way to get a testing site here. So part of FAU's role in all of this is to continue to be the fantastic partner that it is. I, for one, want to see it treated as more of a partner and there be less of that tension as there historically has been between the city and the university. Um, but, you know, it, 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 frankly, like all of the, 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 the bold plans that I had, the great ideas or what have, they have all just been like, they haven't been thrown out, they just put in the, into the shelf or into the drawer. I could take those back out some other time, but we got to get through this thing where people are working, the businesses are, you know, open and running and people are, you know what I'm saying, are going, until that happens, it's tough to, it would frankly be, you know, it's tough for me even to think that far out. I, it's part of my job, of course, but right now I need people to know that our focus is on the coronavirus, getting our city, our community, our environment, our economy up and running in full speed or as near to it as it can be first and then you know we'll be dealing with the rest of it but i do think fau plays a very important role in that and the the, the when every bad thing there's always a silver lining and so sometimes you know it takes some kind of event like this to to open up an opportunity for there to be kind of structural changes and i think the 20th street corridor that's not a massive massive societal change but like that, that that's what this could do for us if a couple you know displacement in the market allows for opportunities like that and so i'm hoping that we can get that fit fit that puzzle piece in there and i'm hoping that it does fit yeah that's awesome um so yeah i think that that kind of does it for um you know for, for us we really appreciate you taking the time certainly we know this is you know probably one, you know, hopefully this is, hopefully, you know, we're recording this later in the day. Hopefully this is your last virtual meeting of the day. Uh, Cause we know you probably got a lot of those going on. Uh, so we certainly really appreciate the time and it's, 
um, you know, certainly not something that, that uh, we always talk about. We talk about recruiting and, you know, coaches and stuff like that, but to kind of get, take a step back and, and hear really uh, what, what's going on and, and what the plan is uh, from somebody like you really is an awesome, uh, awesome thing. So we really appreciate that. Yes. Thank you so you much. Having me. Let me say one thing too. I was, I was remiss by not mentioning this earlier. It turns out I played for coach Spencer at Georgia Tech. He was a defensive line coach. Jeff Spencer was the defensive line coach for me in, I think it was 2003 before he went to, I forget where, but probably Oklahoma state. That's what it was. It was Oklahoma like, state. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. He's at USF now. So it was uh, somehow it never, it, it, the, I, the wires just never connected until he had been named the interim head coach after Lane left. And I was like, Spencer, I can't. And it was a shit. Cause like I, I saw him like nonstop for the, like the, the weeks leading up to the bowl game. And it was like a little mini reunion. It was so good. It was a shame that FAU wasn't able to figure out a way to keep him, but I know he's obviously doing going to be doing big things at, at USF. And I was actually very good friends with Wes neighbors too. the, cause he was the safeties coach, secondary coach. Me and him go to church together. Good guy, good family. I was bummed to see him leave too. But look, Taggart's brought in a good, very, very good staff also. Yeah, couldn't be an exciting time at FAU Stadium for sure. And we can see the uh, Boca Raton Bowl uh, football up in your uh, bookcase. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, SMU, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So thanks for your support. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully there's just is a season at this point. So <laughs> tell me about it. Right. Fingers crossed. Uh, but again, thank you, know, you so much. What's going to happen too is that we're going to have to see how some of these, you know, the pro teams are going to have to be able to figure out how to do their sports. Like, not, not no, college football would never work in the bubble system. Kids have to be on campus. They live in too many different places, right? They have to go to class. Or these, you, know, you can put, put the team up in the Boca Resort for four months. <laughs> I, I, it's an option. But you know, that is typically where they stay when they've gone to the Boca Bowl, right? <laughs> yeah, so – Four months in the Boca Resort, all distance. Sure the Boca Resort would be very pleased to have. Some <laughs> yeah, right? 120 football players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you, we're gonna have to wait and see how stuff like Major League Baseball shakes out. And because look, if they can't make it work, you know, I don't know. But my God, I hope they do. America needs this, right? I mean, I feel like we really need that. Yeah, we've been Trust talking me, about that for a while. Uh, this podcast needs it. Now our website, we need it. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, we definitely need football season, but hopefully it works out. And, um, definitely, you know, the accountable thing, you know, reminding you with the 20th street and uh, hopefully, you know, in, uh, in six months to a year from now, we can have it on again and talk about progress. Please. I'm around. I'm I, look, I'll be on and maybe we'll talk more football next time too. I was going to say, not me. <laughs> is, is there, is there any way, uh, how, um, FAU fans and community members can actually reach out to you so we can make sure that, you know, we're, we're keeping tabs on things. Absolutely. I, um, I have an email address, which is a mouthful, but I'll say it anyway. It's a Thompson, a T H O M S O N at myboca.us. And I, uh, my social media handle, which is, I think the first time I ever used that phrase, said it out loud <laughs> is Andy, you know, and sign Andy Thompson Boca, A-N-D-Y-T-H-O-M-S-O-N-B-O-C-A. You can find me there. That's how Shane found me. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, and it'll be on all the socials and everything. So yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, again, we appreciate it, and um, enjoy the rest of your uh, summer, and good luck 
um, keeping us all safe and, and we appreciate everything you do. You got it, guys. Thank you for having me.